Hello and welcome to Design is Everywhere, the brand new weekly podcast from the Design Museum. It's Thursday, May 7th, 2020. I'm your host, Sam Aquilano, founder and executive director, and I'm joined by our other host, the amazing Liz Pollack. Hello, Liz. Hi there. I keep calling this our brand new podcast and I'll probably keep doing so for a while because it's new and we're excited about it. Yeah, it's been so nice to get such a warm welcome and see Design Museum and so many people's podcast feed. We've been having a lot of fun and we're happy to be here each week. In this week's episode, we're talking about sustainability and design. We'll have a special guest host, Bergen Hubert from the Cradle to Cradle Products Innovation Institute. We'll talk to her about how we can create a circular economy and what role design plays in that. Then Liz, Bergen, and I will interview Roxanne Spears. She's the Vice President of Sustainability for North America at Tarket. We'll talk to Roxanne about how they're moving towards a more sustainable future. Plus, we'll have our weekly dose of good design. But first, Liz, last week we kicked off our 50-50 challenge. Can you tell our listeners more about it and how they can help? Yeah, I'd be happy to. At Design Museum, we've always said design is everywhere, so are we. And now that we're international, we want to show that by growing membership across 50 states and 50 countries, raising $50,000 in 50 days. So yeah, that's a lot of 50s, hence the name. But we're excited that we're already halfway there. And based on what we're hearing from you guys, I think we can do this in less than 50 days. So two things that you can do to help. First, become a member if you're not already. It starts at only $3 a month. And second, if you know somebody in Montana, Maine, Ireland, Jamaica, or any other place in the world, share this podcast with them. Let them know that membership has a bunch of cool perks like the Design Museum magazine and free tickets to virtual events with design experts. Or you can also just get them a gift membership. That's another option. This is so exciting. I'm really thrilled. It's great to see people from all over the world enjoying the Design Museum. I also wanted to quickly mention our upcoming Design Museum Live event. It's part of our sketch series where we're having all kinds of different designers show how they sketch and why drawing is so important to the design process. This coming Tuesday, May 12th, we'll have Patrick Cunningham from Perkins & Will. He'll be doing some architectural sketching. And I mean, we just figure everyone's stuck at home. Let's have some fun. Let's draw together. Grab your tickets on our website. On to this week's main topic. This year is the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. And it just so happens that it's coinciding with a once in a lifetime global pandemic. There's an interesting phenomenon happening while the majority of the world's human population is staying at home. We're driving less, we're flying less, and we're consuming less. And as a result, the earth is getting cleaner. It's probably not surprising at all, but it's the first time in our lives that we can see how action on a massive scale can have a real impact on our environment. The World Health Organization estimates there are more than 3 million deaths per year from ailments caused by air pollution. We have both a pandemic and a concurrent crisis of our own making. But as Sam said, we're seeing the global lockdown have an impact that experts can measure. Scientists at NASA have studies showing 30 to 60 percent drops in air pollution during COVID-19. And while there aren't really dolphins swimming in the Venice canals, which I really wish there were, Satellite imagery does show waterways around the world clearing up. A pandemic is not how we should look to permanently fix our environment. I think we know this drop in human impact on the environment is most likely temporary. There's a better way to thrive as a society and keep our planet livable. 
And maybe COVID-19 presents an opportunity to hit the reset button on production and consumption practices that cause damage to our planet. For the first time maybe ever, we can actually step back and evaluate our systems and chart a better course. Designers certainly play a role in environmental sustainability, but I'll be honest, I often struggle with what that role is. Designers shape our world, but it's just one part of a huge system. So let's explore it. We certainly won't solve it in the course of this episode, but we'll touch on this topic in future episodes as well. One way designers can make an impact is by helping us move to a circular economy. This is a concept I first learned about in the 2002 book, Cradle to Cradle by chemist Michael Braungart and architect William McDonough. A circular economy is in contrast to our current linear economy, where we take materials from the earth, make and consume things, and then throw them away. In a circular economy, our resources are in a closed loop. So we take materials once, make and consume, and then those resources are repurposed and then repurposed again and again in a closed loop. Here's a clip from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, a leader in circular economy research and guidelines. Here you can hear Tim Brown, executive chair of IDEO, talk about design's role in developing a circular economy. Our modern industrial economy was designed around a line that starts by digging stuff out of the ground and ends by throwing stuff away. And somewhere in the middle, there's a point in which you produce something valuable and we as consumers buy that thing and use that thing, but then we throw it away. Um, and it, it makes perfect sense, right? It's a, it's a way of going from nothing to something. The trouble is you end up with a something at the end that's of no value but um, to anybody and it's filling up the planet uh, and we've, you've used up those materials. Um, but this idea of like taking that line and kind of bending it around into a circle and saying the stuff that we use to create value for us as consumers, um, uh, there's no reason why it can't continue to be used. Either that thing gets continued to be used, that product or whatever it is stays, stays valuable, and or we take the materials from it and reuse them in some way. I feel better as a designer. I feel better as a member of society if I'm creating things and I'm using things that, are, that, that, that I can do as much of that as I like, and it's not going to be bad for the planet. In fact, it's going to be good for the planet. Here to dive into a circular economy future is this week's guest co-host, Bergen Hubert. She's the manager for built environment at the Cradle to Cradle Products Innovation Institute, a global nonprofit dedicated to transforming the safety, health, and sustainability of products. She comes to us from the Washington, D.C. area. Welcome, Bergen. Hey, Sam. Thanks for having me. It's, it's great to be here. Sure thing. We're excited to have you. I wonder if we can start just kind of fundamentals. Can you tell us a bit about the Institute and what the goals are? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. Uh, the Institute was founded in uh, 2010 by William McDonough and Dr. Michael Brongard, uh, and it is rooted in the cradle to cradle design philosophy. Uh, some of you may have read the books Cradle to Cradle, Rethinking the Way We Make Things and The Upcycle. Uh, at the Institute, our vision is one of an economy where uh, safe materials are intelligently cycled and manufactured in ways that positively impact people and planet. Uh, we work towards this vision by administering what is called the Cradle to Cradle Certified Products Program, uh, which guides designers and manufacturers uh, through an assessment process. Uh, and that assessment process is based on five categories of sustainability, uh, which are material health, circularity, renewable energy and climate, water stewardship, and social fairness. Specifically, I work with building product manufacturers and their suppliers 
members of the A&D community, uh, owners and developers to try to increase the number of cradle-to-cradle certified products and specifications uh, and to more broadly perpetuate safe and circular materials in the built environment. Awesome. What is the built environment's impact on the environment? Yeah, yeah, pretty significant. Um, I'll start with a few statistics. Uh, The United Nations has uh, projected that global population will reach uh, 9.6 billion by 2050. We're currently around uh, 7 billion, 7.5 billion. Uh, and to sustain this population, it'll actually require at least two and a half to four times the resources that we even have available on, on planet Earth. Um, and on top of that, in the next 40 years, uh, the world will face a demand for building over two and a half trillion, that's trillion, square feet of new space to accommodate this new population. Uh, and that is equivalent to a new New York City every single month. Uh, so, so now already 160 million tons of building-related construction and demolition debris are created annually in the U.S. alone, Um, and that uh, accounts for almost a third of all global carbon dioxide emissions. And this is kind of that traditional take, make, waste, or linear approach to designing and making products, Uh, and it's just no longer effective. Um, Most everyday products, including building materials, used you know, known hazardous uh, materials, they end up in landfill, and they contaminate our environment. So I I really have always liked this quote from our founders, and it's actually in the book Upcycle, and it it says that human beings don't have a pollution problem, they have a design problem. Yeah, can you share some companies or projects that have adopted the circular economy mindset? Yeah, there there are many well-known companies in our community that that are demonstrating circular and sustainable leadership. Uh, and you're right, it, it really is a mindset. Uh, companies that have certified products use our philosophy as a framework to embed circular design into their entire processes. Uh, companies are designing their products for easier disassembly, for maximum reuse potential. They're actively recovering their product and its materials, and are they're even successfully incorporating those materials from previous cycles back into their supply chains. Um, This includes Steelcase's iconic think chair that is designed with recycled materials and less parts for easier recyclability. Um, The fashion retailer CNA introduced earlier this year the first fabric ever to be awarded cradle to cradle certified at platinum level. Um, The denim is 100% uh, 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 recyclable and is made of uh, rapidly renewable resources. Um, both uh, CNA and Steelcase actually have take-back initiatives to recover their products, uh, which help to divert their products from landfill uh, and incorporate materials back into their supply chains. Um, it's, it's really holistic. It's, it's design, it's sourcing, it's the entire system. Yeah, I'm interested in the, the business aspect of it. I mean, I'm, you're preaching to the choir around <laughs> the not having materials going to landfills and sure. like less emissions. Um, but for those who maybe are less inclined, <laughs> I wonder if there's a business impact that you could talk about, uh, sort of the why you know a company would want to, you know, invest in the circular economy. Yeah, and I hope it's okay to kind of relate this to the the current crisis at hand. Uh, I think 
you know, this crisis has reminded, you know, every individual and organization uh, of the need for coordinated action and addressing, you know, global challenges, uh, including pandemics and, and climate change. Um, as topics of preparedness and risk management, you know, rise to the top of pretty much every organization's agenda, uh, there's, you know, an, an unprecedented opportunity to ensure that like health, resiliency, sustainability are all embedded in, in future growth and action plans. Um, I think, you know, by using this time uh, to reset approaches to production and consumption um, in ways that positively impact human and the environment, uh, we can, you know, fundamentally transform the global pipeline of materials that power our economy um, into one that's safe and responsible. I think that uh, you know, the financial sector has already been sending very clear messages uh, that companies who maintain and hone their focus on environmental and social well-being, uh, especially during this time, are not only positioned for, you know, the strongest post-pandemic recovery, but they stand to outperform the companies that may choose to, you know, relax standards, uh, even temporarily, you know, during this crisis. I'm curious to get into design's role in this, right? And speaking as a former industrial designer whose products are now probably in the landfill, <laughs> <laughs> I know I was always frustrated that, you know, I wanted to design things to be sustainable, to exist within a circular economy, but it wasn't always up to me, right? I was designing things and then it was all about the factory and the manufacturing and the, that was kind of set. So if we could chat a little bit about what is a designer's role in this and how can designers make impact? Yeah, great question. I, I wouldn't uh, discredit the work that you did. Um, you know, designers and architects, uh, facility owners, developers, uh, they're truly the ones that are driving the charge to, to specify the use of cradle to cradle certified building materials and, you know, sustainable products generally. Um, and they're the powerful accelerator in the movement towards, I think, circular building design. You know, if designers aren't asking for or, or specifying or designing sustainable products and materials into their projects, product manufacturers, you know, may not put in the investment. Uh, you are their customers at the end of the day. And as much as we would like to believe that they still would, um, everyone has a key role to play is what I'm really getting at. And, you know, there's also a, a demand from a growing number of certification systems like LEED, WELL, BIFMA. Brands and retailers like Google and Home Depot and governments and institutions that recognize cradle to cradle in their work and they reward the use of sustainable products and materials in their systems and in their purchasing guidelines. Yeah, I think, you know, that's what I've seen as well as designers can sort of be the tip of the spear to kind of get some of this stuff into the company and really show the impact not only from a, you know, environment, but also a people and, and profits as well. And I think that's what's been so great about, you know, learning about the Institute is all the resources that you all have that designers can take and be like, okay, I'm going to spec this, or I'm going to design it this way. And I think, you know, that's, that's where the real, I, I still truly believe that designers shape the world. And, and so, you know, we just got to keep trying. I tend to agree. I think that, um, you know, there's, there's no difference in the sustainability movement that the designers have always been on the cutting edge, right? Um, I think that this is no different. I think that, um, you know, a lot of, um, you know, parts of this ecosystem look 
to the designers to, to really guide them towards the right products and materials. It, it's about education. It's about, um, you know, really asking for it uh, and demanding for these sustainable materials in these projects. So what does a future that is fully bought into this circular economy look like? The concept of the circular economy represents a significant change in the way that we make and use resources, uh, materials, and, and of course, finished products. Uh, a circular economy is, is a true alternative to that traditional linear economy I spoke about earlier, in which we keep resources in use for as long as possible, extract the maximum value from them while they're in use, and then ultimately recover and regenerate these materials at the end of each of their service life. Um, products made for the circular economy are designed using, this is a very fundamental uh, part of cradle to cradle design, using safe and healthy materials because there's no point in recycling something that's, that's fundamentally uh, toxic for us. And then those materials can be reused and recycled at the end of each of their useful lives. And this ideally creates an infinite value cycle. Again, that circular economy uh, concept where those materials and resources um, you know, do not end up as waste, but continue in that infinite cycle. And in addition to offering a model for responsible production and consumption, um, the circular economy has the potential to generate significant returns, I think, on the triple bottom line. Um, you know, these include economic, environmental, and social benefits, uh, like better natural research stewardship, cost savings through improved um, resource efficiencies, significant less material waste, and of course, far greater health impacts for humans and the environment. Yeah, absolutely. So where can we get more information? Yeah, we'd love to hear from you at the Institute. Um, you can visit our website at c2ccertified.org. That is the number two. So c2ccertified.org. Um, you can contact us directly through the website um, and also find more information about the certification program and the work that we're doing. I would say please sign up for our newsletter for more information, um, more education and engagement opportunities. And of course, I'd also recommend that you start by reading the books I mentioned throughout the podcast, um, Cradle to Cradle, Rethinking the Way We Make Things and The Upcycle. They're both written by our founders, William McDonough and Dr. Michael Browngard. Um, these are resources and great starting points for designers, architects, innovators, or anybody interested in sustainable and circular design. Thank you so much. Listeners, check out the Cradle to Cradle Products Innovation Institute at c2ccertified.org. That's the number two. For more information on how you can help make this future possible. In Bergen, please stick around. We'd love to have you join our conversation with Roxanne Spears from Tarquette. If you like this podcast, then you will love Design Museum Everywhere. It's a museum that comes to you wherever you are. That's right. Design Museum Everywhere is all about making design education and inspiration accessible to everyone. Become a member today and join a global community of design thought leaders and change makers. Everyone can be a designer. We can all appreciate and advocate for the transformational impact that design can have. Membership starts at just $3 a month and you get access to virtual Design Museum live events, discounts, and our Design Museum magazine sent right to your doorstep. Just go to designmuseumeverywhere.org to join today, and your name will be listed in our next issue of Design Museum magazine. 
which will be sent to design museum members all over the world. That's designmuseumeverywhere.org to be part of this global community. And we're back, and I'd like to welcome our guest, Roxanne Spears, is the Vice President for Sustainability in North America for Tarquette, an innovative flooring company committed to a sustainable circular economy that creates value for everyone, preserves natural resources, and reduces our impact on climate change. Tarquette has a number of cradle-to-cradle certifications on their products. Let's dive into what this all means in practice. Welcome, Roxanne. Thank you, Sam. I'm glad to be here. Tarquette is truly a leader in this space in adopting cradle-to-cradle principles. Can you give us a bit of a history? What has been Tarquette's sustainability journey? Well, it really has been a journey for us. Um, We've been on the journey for a long time. When you have circular economy as your business model, you have to be looking to change and grow and never feel that you're good enough. You can't just stop. Um, So for Tarquette, when we started really digging into looking at um, our products for health of the people, we wanted to make sure that we were having a positive impact on not only the spaces that people were working in, living in, but also the impact on the health of the planet because they go hand in hand. Um, When we started working with Cradle to Cradle as our design principles for our products, we really looked at how do we analyze, how do we optimize, and most of all, how do we certify our products for the Cradle to Cradle certification? And doing that, we had to focus on four pillars, and those are circular economy, uh, good materials, indoor air quality, and carbon neutrality. So can you give us some specific stories of Tarquette products that exist with a circular flow of resources? What's the journey of these products and materials? We do have, we have several good examples, but one in particular is a soft surface product, um, a carpet product called Ethos. And we created this in 2010 when we first started working with Cradle to Cradle and set that as our guidance, uh, as well as looking at circular economy business model. So Ethos is uh, Cradle to Cradle certified silver. But the interesting part of Ethos is the backing is actually made from an industrial waste stream called PVP film. This film is used to hold together safety glass and windshield glass. So what we did was once the material uh, was damaged and could no longer be used, we take off that inside film and we use that as the backing for our product, which normally would go into a landfill. We also then changed the soil protection finish that we had on the product to be one that's called Eco Ensure, uh, which is fluorine free and again certified by Cradle to Cradle Well. And the reason uh, we were concerned about the soil protection finish is fluorine has been found to be a contaminant for water systems and it's a forever chemical so it doesn't break down. Um, it's Once it's in the water system, it's contaminated and we wanted to avoid any possibility of that. Um, Ethos is also manufactured in our facility in Dalton, Georgia, where we've been looking at our processes and what can we change to really decrease our environmental impact. One area we were able to look at was water usage. And in a two-year time frame, we were able to decrease our water usage by 86%. Uh, We can also take Ethos back at the end of its use, recycle that product into other materials. So for Tarquette, this is really the best of circular economy and cradle to cradle because we're eliminating landfill at two ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Hey, Roxanne. I I know that Tarquette has a focus on supporting the UN Sustainable Development Goals in addition to its own goal of becoming a 100% circular economy business. 
What are some of the challenges and barriers you faced in achieving this? And and how does Tarquette keep itself accountable to these sustainability goals? Well, that's a, a great question because for Tarquette, transparency is really important to us. We want to make sure our customers are confident in, um, in what we're doing, but have visibility to see what we're doing as well. And the only way we found to do that was to be science-based in our statements, but also have third-party verifiers. We wanted someone besides ourselves saying this product does meet these specifications and guidelines we've set and helps us keep on track to what we're doing and following our roadmap. So we use uh, EPDs, cradle to cradle and green circle certifications, which are all third party um, analyzers, as well as then for our factories, we use ISO standards and green circle certification as well, so that we're covering both sides, both the manufacturing and our product. Um, and again, sharing that then with our customers on our website as we want to be transparent and give them a solid foundation in which to make decisions. Um, the other thing that we've done is we've been able to have 98% of our raw materials third party assessed. Uh, and it's for the impact on people's health as well as the environment. And this is part of Cradle to Cradle's criteria. We wanted to make sure that as a flooring manufacturer, whatever we're putting into someone's space starts with, with a really healthy foundation. Yeah, I think it's it's so amazing, the work you're doing. I definitely, for just for our listeners, I want to contrast because as I'm listening, I'm like, this is the obvious way to make things, but it's not the traditional way of making things. And, you know, not every manufacturer knows every single chemical or material that's going into their products. And you know, this is more of a statement than a question, but not many care, right? <laughs> True. They, sh- they should they all should care. They should care, yes. Exactly. And so, I don't know, maybe, and in, in Bergen, this could go to you as well, of I'd love to just paint a picture of the specifics on like we're on a new project and we have a list of every single material, every single chemical. And then Roxanne, it sounds like you're also going into then the production processes and what are, what's the water use of this process? What's the outflow of this? Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like on a, say we're starting a new project? Yeah, so to, to comment on, um, you know, the rigor of, you know, the supply chain investigation that, you know, Tarquette and other cradle-to-cradle certified, you know, product manufacturers have to go through. I mean, we're looking at 100 parts per million in each material within their product. I mean, this is, um, you know, this is not an easy undertaking. This goes beyond, like you said, business as usual or beyond regulation for that matter. So material health really is that foundation and it is a it is a very very solid foundation and you know when when you're starting from the design and the R&D um, side of things I mean Roxanne can kind of uh, talk to that it is it is it is a huge undertaking um, and then beyond that it's the, the processes and systems on top of that so it is the production it's the the water it is the renewable energy it is the social fairness of your company and organization so when we talk to how Tarquette has really embedded these principles I mean we're not exaggerating this is quite the investment and undertaking and um, it's no easy feat uh, yeah, as a manufacturer, you know, really the the first step you have to take is to think about your product. You have to evaluate and measure what you're currently doing because you're not going to know there where the improvements need to be made. And that's really where we started. You know, you think about start to finish and it encompasses every part in every department in your business. Uh, we had to look at for research, who can we partner with to use some of our waste stream and where can we find a waste stream? 
So um, the business impact is that it changes business as usual. That is gone. Uh, The positive change is that you move to a circular economy where we're reducing uh, waste, we're reducing energy, we're reducing fossil fuel use, all of those things that impact um, not just our products, but it impacts the environment and the people using the products. Uh, I'm wondering, Roxanne, the business impact from a sales, if we could talk about that, as your customers are looking at it and saying, yeah, we're going to buy Tarquette products because of this. Have you guys had a chance to kind of measure that and see that impact? We find that the communities who are focused on uh, zero waste, lowering fossil fuel use, looking at how do we create an environment for our employees. And a lot of the big uh, companies that you talk about now, like um, even REI Co-op, they no longer open on Black Fridays because they do not want to support the super consumerism. Instead, they create community events locally. Um, BlackRock, who's a big financial investment company, uh, they use a lot of our products because they're focused on sustainability, even for their investments. So I think once a company gets a hold of the idea and realizes the impact they can have, it does make a difference. So does design play a role in this at Tarkat? And what about outside of Tarkat? So circular economy to me is all about design. We need designers to design factories to be more efficient. We need designers to design waste and hazard out of materials, out of the products they're creating. We need a process to make sure we can return materials or repair materials at the end of use. You think about it now and nothing gets repaired, we throw it away. And we, we can't continue to do that. We're wasting resources. Uh, we need design software that connects customers to waste streams um, or food that's being wasted. So the, to, to me, the design community's impact affects um, every part of our business, even down to having designers designing communities that are walkable or that are more user-friendly. Uh, These are design roles, um, both from a company perspective, but also outside the company. And I think uh, designers and architects really need to commit that the design they're going to create with the thought of reducing the impact on the environment and really creating safe spaces for people in every building, not just a healthcare building or not just a school, but a multifamily where people are spending their time inside as well. So um, to me, consumers need to raise their voice to acquire better design with less impact. Shifting gears a little bit, I've seen a bit of this online that, you know, during the pandemic, there's all kinds of other things to worry about beyond sustainability. I wonder if you have some advice and how you you know keep your focus on this work, keep Tarquette's focus on this work, even when there's all these other things to worry about. Well, there are a lot of issues now for everyone that we've never thought about facing before. But for me and my role at Tarquette, it really reinforces that what we're doing needs to continue, that we need to keep the focus on making sure that the products are contributing to really health and safe environments um, and protecting the, the environment as well. We have to look about the types of products we're using, how are they affecting our health? So I think that will change. Um, and it reinforces that we have to continue to do the right things. The other thing is that you've probably noticed on the news a lot as well is a lot of cities are having the best air quality they have ever had in a long time. If you look at images of Los Angeles, uh, you can see the mountains. That that just hasn't happened in probably 20 to 30 years. 
So it does tell us that less transportation, less manufacturing, less use of fossil fuels does make a difference. So it's kind of proving our point as well in real life, unfortunately. But I think it does make a difference. Um, and so each of us individually, our actions can make a difference. You don't have to be a large company to make a positive impact on the environment. You can vote. You can use your purchase power. You can take just small actions because those things add up quickly. Um, I look at small things I can do at home. I don't use my dryer, clothes dryer a lot. I use glass containers to store food rather than plastic. Um, we belong to a farm co-op and have a garden. Um, any used unused clothing, I send to a woman's shelter. So it's all really small things, but in the big picture, if 20 of us are doing that, think of that impact that you're making. So I always feel like people get afraid that they're not able to make an impact because it just seems so overwhelming. But in reality, it's just those day-to-day -day small steps you can take. I love that. I'm like listing out all of those things. I'm like, I'm going to do all of those now. I love that. Um, right. We all should, we can all make an impact. So, um, coming back to Tarquette a little bit, you know, what is the future hold for sustainability at Tarquette and how do you continue to innovate in this space when it's moving so quickly? Well, it is, uh, it is moving quickly. And I think that to keep up with that, we're going to continue to focus on the circular economy and the health of our products, because I think what's going to change quickly is uh, companies focusing on the health of their employees. They, I think they see more value now in those employees and keeping them safe. So how can we contribute to that? Uh, we'll also continue to look at lowering our carbon footprint using less new raw materials, more recycled materials, so that we continue to look at how do we keep the waste stream out of a landfill? How do we keep from using new raw materials that are depleting what the next generations need? Um, and continue looking for solutions that really are of at benefit to the facility, the people in the space, um, and not forget that we're focused on creating a better place. You know, you think about students in a school and the amount of time they, feel they spend in school. What else can we do to make that the best possible experience so that they're truly focused on learning rather than uh, being uncomfortable in the space or not feeling good or being out sick all the time. So I think for Tarkat, our focus will be continue to be based on health, both people and planet, because that's the only way that we're going to continue to grow and keep the society as we want it and as we like. Listeners, check out Tarkat's sustainability reports. They're really interesting. Thanks so much for being here, Roxanne. Time for our weekly dose of good design, where we share an example of good design that impacted us or others in a meaningful way. I'll go first. My weekly dose of good design is a book. Well, it's more of a methodology, if you will. So the book is Measure What Matters by John Doerr. It's all about objectives and key results, or OKRs. You may be familiar with OKRs. Basically, they're a framework for organizing teams around objectives. Usually, you have three to five per quarter, and then there's a way to measure each objective and that's the key result. And those have to be something objective that you can measure. So usually a number 
or a yes or a no. So before COVID-19, I had been looking for a way to better manage my team. We had so many programs and I think everyone had sort of their own idea of what our goals were and what our programs were meant to do. And you could just feel that we weren't on the same page. So I was reading Measure What Matters Before the Outbreak, and I'm so glad I was because when COVID-19 hit, we were all working remote and it became so clear to me that we needed a new way to organize our efforts. And it had to be crystal clear so that we're all focused on the same things, but leaving enough room for my employees to be creative and get things done their way. And so I know I mentioned this in the last episode, but about five days after the stay-at-home order, I presented to the Design Museum team about OKRs, and together using Mural, we developed five objectives and three key results for each for this quarter. And doing it together was so important, so awesome, because now I think we all feel a sense of ownership in the work that we're doing, and we understand what those key results are. So when we're trying to decide, what we're gonna do today? What are we gonna do next week? You can always look at those and say, okay, this is where I'm gonna focus and spend my time and you know, get the results that we want. And so I'm really excited to use OKRs going forward and you know, see what it means for us as we continue on this design museum adventure. Okay, Liz, why don't you go next? All right, yeah. So during this time of social distancing, I've been spending a lot of time daydreaming about my next trip and reflecting on past places I've been. And I know I probably won't be traveling again for a while, but it's fun to daydream. And uh, so what I want to share with you today is the first time that design actually took my breath away, like literally took my breath away. And that was the first time that I stepped foot inside of Gaudi's Sagrada Familia, which is this large unfinished church in Barcelona that's been under construction for like 130 years now. And for me, what was magical about that place was how exaggerated everything was. The attention to detail, the scale, the character, the history. It felt impossible not to have this visceral reaction. And even though that was almost 20 years ago, the impact that it had on me was so incredibly profound. And since then, I've had many other experiences like that where architecture or design has literally taken my breath away um, and had a really long lasting impact. But because that was my first, I think I'm never going to forget it. And, you know, I hope one day that I get to go back and have that again. But that's obviously going to be no time soon. (laughs) Okay, Bergen, finish us up. So I'm, I'm actually in the middle of moving houses and um, I'm reworking pretty much uh, every aspect of my routine life. Uh, With the move and probably the current state of affairs, uh, I recently switched to a delivery household cleaning supply uh, called Blue Land, uh, who, by the way, have Cradle to Cradle certified platinum material health designation for both their bottle and formulation. Uh, It is a tablet-based set of cleaners. Uh, It's like an all-purpose cleaner, a bathroom cleaner. Uh, The starter kit comes with tablets and the reusable bottle, and you just simply add water at your home. It reduces waste and it promotes the use of safer chemistries uh, in the home. So uh, check it out. It's at blueland.com. Thanks, Bergen. Listeners, share your weekly dose of good design with us on social media. We'd love to hear what you're excited about each week. Thank you again to Roxanne Spears and Bergen Hubert for joining us today. You'll find links on our show page with some of the resources we talked about today. Visit designmuseumeverywhere.org. 
And while you're there, don't forget your tickets for a Design Museum live event on Tuesday, May 12th with Patrick Cunningham, showing you some architectural sketching. It'll be fun to draw buildings and spaces together. Definitely can't wait for that. We can continue this conversation online. Like us, follow us, all the things on social. On Twitter, we're at design underscore museum. On Instagram, we're at design museum everywhere. And on Facebook and LinkedIn, you can find us by searching design museum everywhere. And remember to subscribe to Design is Everywhere on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Rate us. It helps people find us. Uh, We just learned we are 40th most popular design podcast in the U.S., which I feel like is not bad for our first few episodes. That's awesome. I love it. Listeners, help us climb the charts. Tell people about Design is Everywhere. Tweet about it. Email all your friends generally spread the word about our new show. This episode was written and edited by me, Sam Aquilano, and produced by Ryan Flom. Our theme music is Orange Sunset by One Wave. For Liz Pollack and the entire team here at Design Museum Everywhere, thank you, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye, everyone.